you're listening to Cooper Talk. Uh, welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And i got to tell you something, people. I, uh, I usually do a little spiel in the beginning, but today I'm not because I'm fortunate enough to have my guest is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and founding member of a legendary band. And he has a great new album I listened to this weekend called Magic Window that I guess it's new to us, but not new to him. And I'm sure it's a very interesting story. And my guest is Doug Cosmo Clifford. How you doing, Doug? Um, so tell me about your new album, Magic Window. Um, you recorded it in 85, I believe? That's correct. Now, what happened? I mean, when you, you, you went for the solo, what happened to the album? Why is it taking so long? Well, um, a couple of things happened. Uh, uh, I had a studio in my house, and uh, I uh, was working on this project to uh, uh, sell some songs and... Uh, and or get a deal and uh we were also in the middle of a seven-year drought up in lake tahoe uh which is one of the wonders of the world it's a beautiful spot and it was uh, under threat of destruction uh, with a, a major major fire and so i had a biology background and understood uh, what the problem was and uh went to work as a citizen uh, and uh, put together the number one program in, in the country for a defensible space, and especially in, in Lake Tahoe, where things are so delicate in terms of uh, uh, upset, upsetting soil that might go into the lake that might turn into algae, and et cetera, et cetera. Make a long story short, uh, I got involved in that, and it was a volunteer uh, organization, and, and I it was like a job, <laughs> but I, I, I did it to try and do some good uh, for the, uh, the, uh, the entire uh, lake and, and mountains and to take uh, the, the actual book that was created out of it to other, other uh, forest-type uh, environments. So that's what happened. I, I, I forgot about uh, that particular uh, venture. Then I got involved with uh, some other guys and uh, music projects, and uh, uh, that was, you know, then and all of a sudden, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I thought, you know, I've got to clean out that locker down downstairs. <laughs> so I, I, I go down and I find not one, but 10 uh, uh, Master reels, it's quarter inch tape, but they were the masters of different sessions of all songs that I had written, and that was the point of recording them to have, have a, you know, to pitch your songs or do whatever you're going to do with them. But I didn't master quality uh, uh, takes on these things, so uh, therein lies the deal. I got an album now, uh, Magic Window, and. Uh, it sounds terrific, and uh, I, uh, you know, I, I'm you know, 35 years old. Who who even thought it, it would you know spin around once without <laughs> breaking it into a million pieces? You know? Well, you know, you know, so, I gotta ask you uh, real quick, uh, off the subject, real quick. You know, you're you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. How did you get involved in biology? Was that an interest you've always had? Yes. Uh, I was uh, an amateur entomologist as a kid. I uh, collected butterflies, and uh, so what I ended up doing, I, I, you know, I was a poor kid. I didn't have a lot of money, and there were some wonderful specimens from all over the world that I wanted to get my hands on. So I found uh, a person that uh, used to sell these things in Pacific Grove, and they told me, you know, I'm going to give you a mailing list of other collectors around the world and you, you can write them a letter and ask them what uh, butterflies are in their their uh, environment and you can write a, a letter with what you have available and then you just swap them you know I'd go out and get, get a tiger swallowtail or a monarch or a west coast lady or fritillary or whatever whatever the yeah the butterflies were, and we would swap. So I had a beautiful collection, but I was also a hunter. So I got into uh, uh, habitat and 
certain butterflies would be if I need, had an order to go fail. So then, in doing that, I, I was I would hide a lot in the you know out in the bushes waiting for for the prize to go by, and I'm looking in out the ground and seeing a, a trail of ants, you know, carrying various things, and they had different body types. And then I got kind of into that, and I really didn't like killing the butterflies. Uh, that part wasn't a lot of fun, uh, but uh, so I, I switched into colony insects, uh, and their collective intelligence, they're, they're really amazing creatures. Check out ants and wasps termites and bees those are the colony insects so i studied that and then uh, from that I, I studied habitat and what you know what the forests were were made uh, of and the varietal types and, and so forth and, and that's where i, where I came across the, the, you know the, that environment so you you have the uh, background in that and then so you get distracted and then you find these recordings what is going through your mind? Is it like a kid when you're on Christmas morning, like you look, you just go to clean your, your downstairs, whatever, out the garage or, or your basement. You go to clean it out, and then you find hun, like tons of songs. What was going through your mind? Were you just like excited, or were you like, I don't even know what this is? Well, I didn't know what it was. Uh, you know, some of the boxes were marked, some of them weren't, uh, and uh, I... I Certainly didn't think I knew where the, uh, you know how old they were. I figured that one out. <laughs> Some of them actually had had the dates on them. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I said I hope this is still good, but I'm really uh, doubtful that it would be after all these years. We actually had them baked. Uh, there's a process where you literally bake the tapes, uh, and then you have a, a week or so to. Uh, play it on a on a machine to see if, if, if the uh, consistency is there, and uh, it was, and, and uh, for on all ten reels. So I I have more more to come, but uh, uh, right now it's it's Magic Window. Now, how did you go through and pick out the songs for Magic Window? Because you know it has to be hard to choose, and they're probably all songs you wrote, so you you they have a special part for you. But you know the the album's ten tracks, and and how, so how did you pick out what went on? Well, uh, I had uh, uh, Russell DeShield, who's uh, co-producing with me. He's the lead guitarist uh, on the project, and also the recording engineer. So. Uh, Russell's a, a, an old old friend. Chris Solberg uh, from Santana and some other big bands uh, around the land. A terrific uh, musician and uh, pl plays many, many things, but he played bass. And I always loved his bass playing, and he did a great job on it. And uh, so I, I co-wrote two songs with, with Chris. I co-wrote one with Russell because he had uh, other other uh, duties to fulfill. He didn't have as much time to write. And then a fellow named Rob Polomsky, I wrote four of the six songs with, with him. And then three of the songs on the album I wrote uh, by myself. So uh, I'm a writer or a co-writer on, on all of the, the songs. So that's how they, they, they made it onto the, onto the record. So uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you just say, wow, you know, did I dodge a bullet on this? Uh, this is just a, a, an amazing story. Well, you know what's funny is uh, the songs, they all have a different feel to it. You know, I mean, you know, Born the Southside has a little bit of a, a little bit of CCR being in the beginning. Um, how did you, you know, what was your object in writing when you co-wrote and wrote? Did you want to have different sounds because Just Another Girl sounds different? And, you know, and it just goes on. They're all different. I mean, Somebody Loved Me Tonight, I love. It's just a really upbeat what what was your well, philosophy in writing? The, the, that's why you co-write. Uh, you know, uh, the songs that I wrote by myself, they they are uh, one style. Uh, the songs that I wrote with the different guys, of course, you know, uh, they, they bring uh, something to the table. Uh, usually, it's a hook, uh, an instrumental hook line, and then then that'll spark an idea. And once I get that the, the idea, then then I'm I'm off to the races. I can usually pen pretty quickly uh, when when I, when I've got a, a clear idea. Uh, boom! And it could be like a flashbulb, you know, and it's 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 
instant. And it's so I, I just uh, I, I try not to uh, you know limit myself. Uh, try to be wide open when uh, when I'm in that part of the process. So that's why there's such a, a difference in in uh, uh, the subject matter and or uh, maybe the approach to the song. And then the other side of it is I'm a drummer and uh, you know I'm, I'm supposed to be the groove master. So I better be putting some good grooves together for for these songs and. The, the grooves uh, can 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 uh, lay out what what the song's going to turn out to be as well. Now, when you when you wrote the songs of the three by yourself, do you start because, as you said, you are a drummer? Do you start with what you know the drum part will be, and then add the other parts, or do you just do you just have an idea of what it's all going to sound like as the final project? Well, usually. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do that on the piano uh, and and a lot of times I'm just a uh, you know I'm not a piano player so <laughs> let's, get, <laughs> let's put that up front and forward uh, but uh, you know pianos are great you know they're not like a guitar you have to have your fingers on these strings that hurt your fingers and I was in bands with, there were lots of guitar players around me all at all times uh, you know, and so I didn't want to try, try and uh, play the guitar because when I did, I, I they laughed at me and, and <laughs> mocked me. And so of course, you know, good, good, clean fun, right? And bullying <laughs> the drummer. Uh, not a good idea if, if the drummer's kind of buffed. But, uh, I, 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 let, I, I let them have their fun. Uh, but so, but if you take a, 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 a hit a, a chord or, or a note. On the piano, it sounds as good as Jerry Lee Lewis. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, you know, guitars. You have to have to work at it and have go through pain. Uh, I don't I don't like pain that much, and uh, so uh, I'll take the piano. So I would I would piddle around on the piano and, and uh, do things. Sometimes uh, something would come. Sometimes it sometimes not. It wasn't a sure thing. But uh, once I got uh, a, a chord progression together then I would find a melody in there and then I, I could write the song now are you a lyric guy first or a music guy first or does it depend what kind of mood you're in I'm a lyric guy first so um, uh, the story is very important and <clears throat> to me the, uh, the, the melody kind of dictates what, what the story is going to be because the melody CCR, you played on some amazing albums, and now you have an album here, The Magic Window, and so you come from someone who's who remembers the concept of an album and track placement. How did you come up with your track placement for Magic Window, and why did you lead off with the title song first? Because sometimes people lead off with that or they put it in the middle. Why did you do it that way? Well, uh, it's the longest song on the album, so uh, that, that has a little bit to do with it, not 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 a whole lot, but it's a it's a good upbeat, uh, you know, a good groove uh, uh, song. Uh, has uh, a lot of elements in it uh, that uh, I really like. And Russell's great at, uh, with his leads. Uh, uh, he's a very very wise uh, the, the way he embraces melody. 
of the song into the solos, and that, I, that's uh, a mark of a great guitar player. And I've been fortunate to be around some pretty good ones in my career, so uh, hats off to Russell there. But it's also uh, kind of a Pink Floydish thing. I have, you know, some some uh, spoken voice things that sort of sound British, but not not necessarily. In the, uh, in, in the solo, for example, uh, my window is my magic screen, always different, but yet the same. I hope the magic will never, ever change. Uh, that's a, that's a one of the singing lines, but I, I put it in single voice in the solo and have it buried back there. And then just before the out, I have uh, a lot of sort of talking like you would hear in some of the Pink Floyd uh, uh, records. So I was having fun with it. That was a uh, uh, kind of a uh, different, uh, uh, and uh, but uh, I think it sets up the the rest of the album because yeah. of, the, of the groove. Yeah, well, the groove. That's funny, and also though, because you said, you know, as you said, you wrote some and you co-wrote some, and you know. I think it's very important to to keep the album mixed up, which you do because, as you said, there's different styles because there's different writing, but it all has your voice through it. So when you put them in order, I mean, how do you decide that? Like, do you just sit there and go, okay, I really like this song, or you sit there and go, you know what, I think this will go best after this. How did you put the, the rest after Magic Window? You had the opening. How did you put the rest together? Well, uh, it was already on the on the reel like that, so I figured I must have known what I was doing when I did it. Except I forgot to take it home with me. <laughs> so so uh, I'm, I, we we moved a, a song or two, uh, uh, but uh, for for the most part we stuck with. Uh, uh, and, and you know your ear tells tells you the order goes along really well uh, to take take the this. You know, it's, it's kind of like a book, really, uh, 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 an album, and, and the songs are chapters, and you 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 want it to flow nicely, and uh, and you also wanna don't want to overload it and with and put a, a bunch of similar grooves together or songs songs that uh, uh, that are that are that are different uh, that that are not going to fight or conflict with each other. Now, when did you start playing drums? I started playing drums when I was 12. And what made you decide to play the drums? Was it, you know, looking back, it was a great decision, but what made you decide to play the drums? Well, I, I was buying rock and roll records uh, when, when I, I bought my first record, and it was 78. Then it wasn't even a 33. They didn't have singles. Then. Well, they, they had singles, but they didn't have... Uh, albums, long plays, and the, the 78s were very brittle. But the first record I bought at age nine was Roll With Me Henry by Etta James. That's pretty cool for a nine-year-old. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and then the second record that I bought was Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley. And I, that jungle rhythm tom-tom thing that is so powerful in that song, that's what, boom, 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 you know, like you, you, you say Bo Diddley, and that's what you, you do. You, you, go, you go back to that drum beat. Well, I didn't. I loved the music, and I wanted to be a, a, able to play an instrument. And I was, almost became a sax player because back in the fifties, early fifties, and the early rock and roll days, uh, saxophone was probably uh, used more uh, in, in the solo area than guitars. So. I thought, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll play with the sax. And I never really quite got there. But then I saw a TV special with Gene Krupa, the great Gene Krupa, uh, out on a outfield, a baseball outfield. And he didn't, they didn't show the band, but they showed him coming out in a white sport coat, black greasy hair, and uh, he was walking through those about, I don't know, eight sets of drums. And he was playing on the cymbal stands and the, and, and the hardware of the drums. He wasn't playing the drums. He was just walking around playing along with it. And then all, all of a sudden, it was, I think it was the same thing. Uh, they go into the chorus and he sits down and starts you know, playing the full kit. 
And it just, it was so powerful, you know. Wow, I said, that's what I want to do, but I want to do rock and roll. I don't want to play big band. Now, once you started playing, when do you start getting involved in bands? I mean, I know, you know, what was your first band you were in? Do you remember? I started, yeah, it was Creedence Clearwater Revival, but it was, it was called The Blue Velvet. Uh, I saw John Fogarty playing piano in the music room at uh, uh, junior high school in the eighth grade. And he was, you know, I knew the songs he was playing, Fats Domino, Little Richard, I knew them all. And I listened to him, and then he, he, he stopped, and I came up to him, and I said, hey, that's, that's Domino and Little Richard, the songs you're playing there. And he says, yeah. Uh, I, says, I said, do you want to start a band? He said, well, actually, I play, he said, yes, but I, he said, actually, I play guitar. I'm looking for a piano player. And I said, well, I, I know a guy named Stu Cook who plays piano, and uh, he, his dad's a rich lawyer, and we can <laughs> practice. We have a piano in the, in the rumpus room, and we can practice there. I hadn't asked Stu if he wanted to do it or if his parents would let us pound on the piano, but I, I, you know, I wasn't shy about things, so that's how it started. And then Tom Fogarty came in later. I was four years older. Now, had a band and, and got, got us in the studio because he wanted to, to uh, put some demos out and try and get a get a contract. Now, what was the original sound of Credence Clearwater? Is it what, you know, we've come to know, like a very unique sound and hard, it's got a, it's rocking. What, was that always from the beginning or did you guys grow into that sound? Well, we, you know, I don't know if you call it grow into it. Uh, it was, it was, it was planned. I mean, the, the, the type of music that we liked and, and uh, aspired to, to master would, was, would take us there, uh, you know, as, as things changed, as Sean became a vocalist, that, that changed uh, a lot of things a lot. Uh, Tom was a sweet tenor, and uh, John, of course, is John, so uh, that made a difference in, in, in the direction. But we were, we were very uh, heavily rooted in the blues, uh, the real blues, rhythm and blues. Now, when did you start getting a following? Was that, you know, was that, did it take a while? How long were you in the playing before people started really recognizing you? Well, probably uh, after the, uh, after Buy Your Country album, uh, which was our second album. Uh, because, we, you know, the first album had Suzy Q, but Suzy Q was not an original song. And uh, it was a, uh, we were, we're close to being a one-hit wonder uh, with a, a cover song, and uh, so we knew we had to have an original song as a single off the second album. So we picked the, the, the single uh, "Born on the Bayou," which is my favorite to this day, my favorite Creedence song, because Susie Q had a quarter note beat, and so did "Born on the Bayou," and uh, we just uh, liked it. Shows it. In those days, they had uh, uh, guys, record pickers, guys that would uh, were have had the ear for for uh, top forty radio and could tell you what was a hit, what wasn't a hit. So they would sell their, their what they call tip sheets uh, to the radio stations and or disc jockeys to uh, you know kind of the, the their their roadmap, if you will, for for their gig. And he, a fellow named Bill Drake, uh, picked Suzy Q. He says, I think this is a hit uh, by this band called Creedence Clearwater Revival. And then we put out, I put a spell on you, and it, it stiffed. So, like I said, we had to, had to come up uh, with an original. So, uh, Bayou was a turntable hit, which means it got airplay, but it didn't sell records. I mean, you have to be able to get airplay and sell to go up the charts. So he uh, he wrote in his in his in his sheet, "You've got the right record. Just turn it over." And on the other side was Proud Mary. Well, now you said Bob, "Born in the Bayou" is your favorite song. 
Uh, yes. Why was it your favorite song besides the quarter beat that you said? What made it? What made it your favorite? Because you have so many songs to play, and to this day, you've released so many hits. Why is it your favorite? Well, it is that quarter note beat for me. Uh, it's it's powerful. It, it it creates space by you're taking. You're only playing half half the the, the notes with your right hand on the cymbal or hi hat. career changing what starts happening bigger gigs more followers more respect from record companies how does your when you have a good selling album how does it change for you well better gigs for sure uh and uh, uh started make, making some money uh, able to buy a house and you know that was pretty cool and uh finding a fan base you know we were we were uh, a concert draw as well. So uh, in 1969, we put out three albums, which was, don't ask me why, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 that's what we did. And we played behind those, uh, those albums as well. So we were pretty busy. But uh, we were the number one concert draw and number one record selling band in 69 and 70. And uh, so uh, that, the, that changed a lot. It, it opened the doors to uh, uh, for for gigs for us. We Concerts West was a, a, a concert uh, company. They had their their artists were uh, the Beach Boys, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, and Creedence Clearwater Revival. Well, that's that's so a good company. They were, they, they, Concerts West, they, they were the they were the Cadillac of, of, of touring companies, and and they what they did is they, they took ten percent and they did everything, did everything, and then you know let us pick the other acts that were going to go go on with us, and that was great too because there were there would be promoters that would put a package together, and we were in it, but we didn't like either one of the bands that we were playing with. Not, not, not the, the personnel, uh, but just the, the, the music uh, a lot of the time. So um, we, when we were with Concerts West, one of the one of the tours was uh, Wilbur Harrison, uh, the black gentleman who uh, wrote Kansas City, one man band, and uh, Booker T and the MGs, and Creedence Clearwater Revival. That was a great great package right there now when did you start going overseas to play well we we went over in uh, 1970 uh, in the spring and uh, went to Europe and then uh, also played Woodstock what what was it like to play Woodstock well it was it was a, a logistical nightmare you know we getting in and getting out uh, we didn't know where our gear was or where our crew was uh, cold wet rainy the conditions were horrible 400 plus thousand people and uh, maybe enough provisions for 50,000 that didn't last long but what lasted long and throughout 
the days and nights was the, uh, the, the spirit of the crowd. The crowd was uh, happy. They shared whatever they may have had with complete strangers. Uh, they, they weren't going to be uh, discouraged by the, the weather conditions. Uh, you know, they had to wait a lot for bands to get up there because you couldn't play in the rain. And uh, just uh, everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong, but they all came through it with smiles and, and love. I, I, the hair on my arm stood up when I finally slowed down and, and, and stopped and took a look at what was going on around me. You could feel the energy that, you know, it, it'll never happen again. Now, you, did, you guys headlined, I believe. Didn't you go on really late? Yes, we did. We were supposed to go on a headliner spot on Saturday night. We got on on Sunday night somewhere around 1 or 2 in the morning. Now, that must just be, the, the waiting game just must be a pain in the ass for you guys, just because you're sitting there and expect to go on earlier, and then all of a sudden you're going, oh, my God, who was on before you? The Grateful Dead, and then they overshot their their time slot by at least a good hour, <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was hard sitting around waiting for those guys. Uh, but uh, you know they are who they are, and they do what they do. It's all it's all part of the deal. Now, what is it like? You guys were just—I mean, you guys were just hitting out hit after hit after hit. I mean. The number ones, you know, like top tens. Is it? Is there? Do you feel pressure that you're going to keep having to to produce at that level? Because it's so weird. Like even though if the music is great, if it doesn't sell, sometimes the record label gets pissed. Well, uh, our record company didn't get pissed because we <laughs> we always sold until. Uh, uh, the demise of the band. So uh, we were we were at a double rate because we put a single out, and both sides would be a hit. We're selling double-sided hits. Uh, not too many bands have done that. The Beatles, the Stones, Elvis Presley, uh, to mention a, a, the few. But we had five of those, and uh, so you know your 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 burn rate is is twice the. Uh, what, what it would be if you were just uh, had an A side and then a B side. Now, of all... we, 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 we couldn't help it. I mean, we, we didn't go out and say, well, this this is going to work. We just put, put the two together and uh, uh, it ended up being, being that they both charted. So uh, that just puts, puts the, the, the pedal to the metal. Now, you guys, you recently had said some best-selling albums. What was your favorite album, and why was it your favorite album? Well, uh, I have two, actually. Uh, the second album, By Your Country, is my, my favorite album. That's when we were still pretty fresh from the clubs and, uh, you know, had, had a... Uh, uh, and, and I loved the songs on that, on that album. Then, of course, Cosmos Factory named after after me my, my nickname is Cosmo uh, that, that I had to like that because it was a name after me so but that was our our, our Sergeant Pepper it had some I think six singles on it plus uh, uh, oh geez the long one uh, the grapevine which was a 12, 11 minute song but uh, you know, it had been a number one hit for for uh, two artists before us. So we we wanted to play a long song because we, uh, you know, our, our, our peers criticized us for for not jamming and you know doing a long song. So we did, and that song was got uh, the most airplay of a long song in any uh, song in history. Now, the nickname Cosmo, where does it come from? It comes from college. Uh, they called me Clifford C. Clifford in college. Uh, I had a, a, a biological background, as I mentioned earlier. 
we lived in the animal house, uh, no adult supervision. Uh, there was trash everywhere, and so we had roaches and ants. And we had a meeting together, and because uh, people said we we got to get rid of all the vermin, I said I will do it. But first of all, we got to clean up. So they cleaned up, and then you could buy. In those days, you could buy lethal poison by the gallon at the hardware store. So I got a gallon of something pretty, pretty brutal, and uh, started making my little food bombs. And uh, within two weeks, I got rid of all the, all the vermin. We were at a, in a party somewhere, and someone yelled out, "Hey, Clifford C. Clifford, what does the C stand for?" The first hippie in the house said, "It stands for Cosmo." He's cosmic. He's a man of nature. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and they, they still call me Cosmo or Cause. Now, now you know, you, you guys, um, you're playing, you're doing well. What happened to the band? I mean, did you, you guys went your own directions, but was it, was it, what, did you feel it was breaking up before it did? Well, yeah, it was because we didn't have management. Uh, John was a brilliant talent, but he didn't know anything about business. He didn't know, even understand the contracts that we were under. And uh, he, but he wouldn't give it up. He, and so, and then he took up, made it personal, and and he got into a personal fight with Saul Zantz. And you know, business is business. You don't go in and, and uh, you know get into a, 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 a brawl and expect. To, to win, we had uh, everything going our way. We, you know, we were making the music. All we had to do was get a, a mentor. Really, we needed a mentor because the brothers were were at each other's throats. John, uh, you know, Tom gave up everything to uh, have us make it, and then was not allowed to even uh, sing one song. Uh, and uh, so Stu and I stuck up for him, and that put us in the doghouse. And, and, uh, and and also, Stu has a business degree, and so you know, I I, I have a business degree, and, and uh, I'm not uh, uh, qualified to manage us at this level. And uh, you need to get, get away from the, uh, the, the this fight that you're in, and, and get a get a mentor slash manager. He wouldn't do it, and then finally, it just got to be you know just. Um, too much uh, pressure. Tom left the band, and it was at that point it was pretty much over. Is it? It must be weird, you know. When as I just said, you guys were so popular, and as, and you said it was too much pressure, and you probably felt like you were walking on eggshells. Does that just suck all the creativity out of out of someone? Well, I guess it could. Uh, you know, uh, uh, but in other cases, it. it, it it can work the opposite. Uh, I, I don't know what happened uh, in terms of that. I mean, John just uh, uh, kind of disappeared and, and uh, took his uh, his uh, bad feelings with him, and uh, still carries him around today. So uh, you know, uh, it's a, it's a, the good news is we left it. Great legacy of music. Uh, uh, you know, we always we always work and, uh, and strive to be as good as we could possibly be. Well, it's funny. I know you and Stu went on to form Credence Clearwater Revisited, and I was supposed to go to your concert in Philly. I had interviewed Stu. And I ended up going to my cardiologist, and my heart was whacked. I ended up being in a hospital for eight days, so I couldn't go. But how did Creedence Clearwater Revisited come, come together? Well, uh, I, I was living up at Lake Tahoe at the time, and Stu was in L.A., and he was going to move back to the Bay Area. And I said, before you move to the Bay Area, bring your family up to my house and stay with me for a week up at the lake. So he did, and uh, of course it didn't take much, much to, uh, prodding <laughs> to want to live in Lake Tahoe. So he bought a house there, and we started. We were jamming with bass and drums. We said we need a band, and you know we we've got these these great songs, and nobody is playing them, including John. He won't he won't play them, and so we you know we hear it every day. 
alive. And we just uh, finished that project. It's been 25 years. We were hoping to get five years out of it. And uh, we played all over the world, had a platinum album out of it, and uh, uh, basically a second career. So it's uh, been amazing. We have tremendous fans and a fan base of very young people with three generations of fans and and uh, more to come. Now, what made you end up in Tahoe? Well, uh, I, you know, living in the Bay Area and with my background, I, I, I love the mountains and I wanted to be in a, in a, in a mountain environment. And Lake Tahoe is a, a spectacular uh, alpine lake, beautiful place. And so uh, I wanted to have a cabin that we could go up to and... Uh, and bring the family and uh, not just my, my you know my immediate family but my wife's brother and his family and her parents and and, and you know so on and so forth so we went up there and uh, bought a lot and we're building a house or a cabin supposed to be 2,500 square feet it ended up at 4,000 and then we went up there and uh, it was a thousand feet above the lake and uh, it was a very, like I say, it was, it was a drought, so it was easy to, to drive around. There was no snow in the winter. I said, oh, winter's not look that bad to me. So uh, we uh, got up there and knew immediately we wanted to stay. We liked the, the we had to check the schools out. And uh, we liked the people that were living there. And uh, so we uh, uh, started to realize we needed garages. And that's where my studio was on top of the car garage, and uh, out on the end of the property, and you could look uh, for 60 miles uh, over the beautiful lake. We're a thousand feet above the lake, so it was wow. spectacular. But then we had the worst winter ever, and I found out about, about a real winter and real snow. And so we, when we finished uh, building the the garages in the, the studio. It was a, a 7,500-square-foot 7, house. So it was pretty big and uh, took care of all the, the family that would come up. Now, you know, you've, you've, you've had such a long career, and it's been so great. I know you've recorded a few, uh, a few other solo albums, I believe. What was your highlight with CCR of a gig? Like, you know, if you could say, like, two of your favorite gigs you ever played. Is there anything you can pinpoint on that was just a show where you just felt like you were just kicking ass beyond belief on the drums? Or, I mean, what were some of the shows that you loved? Well, Woodstock, of course, would have to be in there. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just an iconic event and, and a historical uh, marvel. Uh, so that one. And then Royal Albert Hall, uh, that uh, that is coming out this year. That, that uh, performance, and it'll be on video as well. So it'll be our own, the only video out on Crete. Uh, terrific uh, uh, show. Some of the Beatles were were present. I think Eric Clapton was 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 there. Uh, you know, so uh, that's a good, really good one, and it's coming out this year. Now, you're also a member of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Do you get, like, a plaque for that, or or is there something that signifies it? Yeah, you get a little a little statue, of, uh, about a foot tall, and, a, you know, it's uh, not real fancy, but it's, it's recognizable. It says Hall of Fame on the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you plan to produce more solo music, or... Or, or what are you going to do after this album? The album comes out, uh, Magic Window. I know it's something that it's it's older stuff. Are you going to sort through some of the other stuff you had and maybe come out with a few more albums? Yeah, I've got about six albums. And uh, I've got another one uh, with me singing. And then I've got uh, a couple others with other people singing. Uh, and, and different band makeup. So, yeah, I've got, uh, I'm like a little record company waiting to come out, but it's all, you know, it's all, they're all into my publishing company. So I guess it's really a, a publishing event. Uh, but uh, it's uh, all good stuff. I mean, it's, you know, I'm just uh, so happy 
Now, you sing on your albums. I know, and, and with CCR, you're a backup singer. When did you feel that you said, you know what, I have the singing chops? Because that's, that's a big responsibility. And I always love people who drum and sing. That's cool, because you don't see it a lot. And that's one of the coolest things. Well, one of the things I didn't like was singing and playing drums. So, And the reason for that is you know, I, I like to move around and, you know, when, when, you have to sort of stop what your what your body's doing and 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 that to, for me I, I you'll see it with you uh, check out the Royal Albert Hall I move around pretty good I slam step around and break things so uh, uh, you know I, I I never really did like like that but um, I'm uh, when I was you know, making a, a, a record and uh, going to be a singer. I didn't have a band. I wasn't planning on doing gigs. I, you know, I was just making, making these, uh, writing these songs and, and recording them. So, uh, and I, I, I worked really hard on the vocal on this one. On this one, the first solo one I did was a an experiment, really, to see if we could use a remote truck and run, uh, run it into the Cosmos factory where we rehearsed and used the rehearsal area as a studio and, and produce uh, records for other bands. And so uh, it, was, it was less art and more of an experiment to see if that plan would work, which it did. So uh, with, with Magic Window, it's a, it's a totally different thing. I, you know, all the songs, there are no, no cover songs, in other words, uh, I had three cover songs on the first. But I, I really worked hard on the, on the vocals to to make them uh, uh, more than just viable. They have, they have to have, and I have them out front where you can actually hear them. I'm not afraid to, to put them out there. So that uh, you you can really work on on your singing if you have your own studio. You know, you can come in and set up uh, every song you want and with a quick mix and and turn hit the switch and practice you know over and over and over and over and over and over so that, that's uh, the difference it was more of a, a complete uh project where i'm writer singer uh, drummer producer uh, arranger so it's it, i'm not just the drummer in the band like i, I was in credence now is clear credence uh, revisited is that are, are you still going to be doing that or is that done that's done. We ended it this year and uh, 25 years. <laughs> so we just shake our heads and go, there's a, a, another great project, you know, that uh, we, we just had no idea it would be so successful. And that, that's Stu Cook and I. Stu Cook, and of course, the bass player for Creedence Clearwater Revival. Now, is there any way ever, if, if the moon's aligned up, that, that the original three would play again i mean i know tom's passed away but is there any way that the that you Stu, and john would ever play again or is it just it just too damaged and too far gone well it's too far gone and, you know he's found his niche he's got his family uh his, you know his children from his second marriage in, in his band now and so you know and it would have been great 25 years ago uh, but you know that's long long since gone and uh you know, I, I, I have tape on my rear view mirror, so, uh, and I'm, I'm done touring, so my body is saying thank you. <laughs> well, you know what, Doug, I want to thank you for uh, taking time to talk to me. You know, you're definitely, uh, you're, uh, you're, in a, you're in a legendary band, you're a legendary drummer, and uh, the new album's really good, and uh, it's always good that when you, you know, when you hear something, because I listen so much to classic rock, and then, you know, um, Wendy sent me the, the, copy of your of your album and it's just good to just hear an album where someone put it together as an album it's not like hey we're going to put one song out like everyone does that now so thank you because it's very enjoyable oh thanks for enjoying it it makes makes me feel great that's what it's all about you know it's uh music is is uh, a tremendous gift and uh, Right now, in this pandemic, you know, it's medicine. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've been listening to a lot of stuff. 
and uh, I, without it, I, I, I don't know what I'd do. Uh, it, it, it's such an important fabric of of our culture. Now, how how are you, how are you dealing with the pandemic? Are you are you getting out of the house at all? Because you're in Tahoe, you probably don't. There's not really a lot of people around. I'm guessing where you live. How are you dealing with it? Well, I'm staying home. Uh, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I, I have a walk that I, you know, my wife and I take every day. Uh, but it's through a golf course, and you know, there's nobody's out there. So, uh, uh, yeah, you just do what you. The best thing you can do uh, it works is this, uh, you know, just staying away and uh, uh, doing uh, doing what uh, is expected of you, and, and it's it, where where it's happening, it, it works. So I I, I want to do what I can. Great. Well, people people go check out. Uh... Doug's new album, it's uh, Magic Window, I believe it comes out the 24th, um, which is like, the, like two weeks, a week and a half, away, a few days away. And so, so yeah, follow... It's my, it's so my fo- 75th birthday. Okay, well see that, well people, it's his 75th birthday, so go out, get the album, and go look up Doug, look up all Credence's great music, and so... Thank you for listening to me and Doug. Remember, you can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. You can find over 780 episodes at coopertalk.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at coopertalk1. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.